0: Hello, this is the Boss Podcast, episode eighty-two. I am Kirk Bailey, bringing you another great session from one of the many Boss Comps of the past decade. This week, Active Campaigns Jason Vanderboom talks about his journey growing a side hustle to one thousand people. The Business of Software Podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. Jason Bandboom is the CEO of Active Campaign, founded in 2003 as a means to fund his degree in Fine Arts. Active Campaign is a marketing automation platform designed for great customer experience. It has over 145,000 customers in over 170 countries. It currently has about 850 employees and plans to hit 1,000 within the year. Jason went against the grain of startup advice. Staying in your lane, not going after big companies as your first customers, treating customer support as a cost centre, these just didn't work for him. In fact, those unorthodox decisions have been vital to the growth of ActiveCampaign. Happy listening.
1: Background-wise, like uh, I, I just was very interested in building things at a young age. Um, started with actually trying to build things uh, physically. And then um, I was fortunate enough to get a computer around 12 or 13, self-taught kind of how to to just like create websites, program, things like that. Um, in high school, wasn't a huge fan of formal education, uh, but was growing up in a small town, talked them into letting me out half days for a work study program um, where I got to work at a dial-up internet company. Basically just walked in with consulting work on a cd said, please give me a job. Like, please don't pay me anything. Just like, let me work here so I can get out of school. Um, it really allowed me to work with more and more businesses, and and I've just been kind of obsessed with this idea of like, how do you create something of value um, to help people save time and help, especially small businesses? It's a passion area of mine. Um, how do you help them grow?
2: Right. So, a little bit about Active Campaign. Then it was started off as a um, a way of you funding your way through. Um, college yeah which i suppose it just got a little
1: bit out of control it was yeah a little, the, a little bit yeah and so i started <laughs> i really wanted to focus on something continue to craft something um because i was doing consulting work prior i just moved to chicago to go to fine arts school um because i've always had kind of a passion for the arts as well and and so i really just decided to create something that was a software company now i didn't think about it um, in the way of like, I've got this ultimate plan on taking taking on some market or or anything. I was just trying to get uh, initially at the beginning thirty five dollars at a time. Uh, so when I first uh, launched Active Campaign, it was really just on a directory at the time because it was all the way back in like two thousand three, and um, someone bought a copy of it. Um, I was able to like just receive the money and then I had to figure out like how to actually deliver it? And so I feel like I've been on this journey um, of just trying to figure things out uh, ever since um, through so many different transformations and, and being fortunate to be able to grow the team and whatnot, um, but always just like always learning. And, and so like that's been, that's been an exciting part. And luckily like being at Fine Arts School allowed me to have that flexibility of, of focusing on the business. Um, uh, while going to school.
2: So, you're learning and you're making it up as you go along. I would love to just test our Zoom here and um, put your hand up if um, you've been making things up as you go along um, by using the little reactions. Um, You can wave if uh, you're making it up as you go along. See, Kirk's not making it up as he goes along. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a cheap, cheap shot for
1: uh,
2: a <laughs> complete I, I, agreement.
1: I, I think it's a good thing for people to like all too often I think people feel like they have to have it like figured out or mm. or even worse, there's a right way of doing things. And um the the one thing I've learned is every time I like look at market, look at peers, um it just like either takes me off course or just makes me feel bad about like what we are or are not doing. Right. Mm. And then that, uh, that takes fun away from the journey. Um, and given it's like such a interesting journey of ups and downs of, of, of either running or being part of a, a growing company, um, that would be a real shame. They get rid of any of the, any of the joy. Right.
2: Yeah. So I'm going to talk about kind of pivotal moments maybe, and, and you obviously started this as a side project and it was a bootstrap thing for um, quite a while. There, are, Most people would say there are probably two big pivotal moments between starting that thing as a project and getting to the size you are now. And, and one is, oh, I'm a company. <laughs> what do I do now? And then sort of later on, because you bootstrapped pretty much for certainly over over 10 years, then you have actually started to um, really grow and really accelerate. And I think you announced a big funding round last week. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Dang, that's another another big, big moment. So so tell us a little bit about that, you know, how you how you kind of thought about that first bit from I'm just doing this thing.
1: Yeah, and I, I, uh, so I look back at it and like I never thought of um, capital back then in the way of like I would be able to even get any. Um, and I'm actually somewhat appreciative of that fact because it's given us more optionality over time. But I think like uh, despite not raising capital. I had to find ways to like make it through difficult times. And like 2008, for instance, like we had no capital through that time. Um, we were working with small businesses and whatnot, and, and the whole business sort of got into a critical state. Um, and, and just finding ways of leaning on some of our roots of like consulting through different periods of time, being fine with that. Um, also like uh, finding ways of just like getting capital through other means like um, I remember when we got like an SBA loan. Um, like nobody's putting out like an amazing press release typically for that, or like a a cash advance on like your MRR line um, or mm-hmm. something like that. But I feel like as a, a a group, people should celebrate that stuff more because basically it's what's the difference? Like there's there's differences, but like a bringing capital into the business in a non dilutive fashion, yeah. um, like. It's actually, it's funny how like one side of it is so celebrated where like, like, why are we not celebrating like, you know, credit card limits and things like, it's all like, you know, capital was returned at a certain point. Right. Um, So I think it's the always thinking like, I didn't really have a lot of uh, ability to, to find capital really created in the DNA of the company, just this let's let's grow, but like, let's let our customers lead our growth journey. Um, so we've been fortunate to be able to get more momentum and whatnot. But like, you know, 13 years into the business, I went from like one to to about 15 people. Um, and, you know, some people would look at that and say like, okay, it's a, it's a, so I, I think that was an amazing business. Like we're growing, we're mm. profitable. Like it's the, the, the problem is, if you look at, at competitors, if you look at market or something, those are not always the businesses being celebrated when they should be celebrated more. Because oftentimes, like in my opinion, like half the time, like half of those businesses are even more valuable than some of the ones propped up, right? And so it's this, uh, it's kind of led to this place of where maybe it sounds funny for me to talk about that now because we've we've raised um, like $360 million, but it's this... no matter what we would raise, I don't think we could really remove um, some of those fundamentals from the DNA of the business. It's just like enrooted in what we do um, where it's it's just uh, we'll move at the pace of our customers and kind of find the, the, the best of both worlds for what works for us at any given time.
2: Interesting. So was there a point where you ever thought, ah, it's all too much, well, I'm just going to, Give up was there something in two thousand and eight in that that sort yeah. of time, or were there other other points?
1: I'd say like it, it's just a lot of work, right? And it's either you know you have your different different areas of where it becomes difficult. It's either you know customers or or finding revenue. Two thousand and eight was the time where it just felt like like will we make it through that um from a just a capital standpoint and just be able to to pay people i stopped paying myself for over a year we just started tapping into everything we had um, and we had a team of, of eight people um, and we just had to adapt but i'd say beyond that it's it's just a journey of um you know it, i think it's normal to have feelings like that along the way um, because it, it's such a up and down in terms of change, and mm. what I've really found is like the more you try to control um, the the chaos of growth, you're either going to highly frustrate yourself, uh, quite <laughs> quite quite likely. Um, but also, the more control, like like the more calm you try to bring, um, the harder you could make it on yourself. Because some of that some of that chaos. Um, it's caused due to, due to your customers. It's caused due to like, you're, you're gaining some momentum and whatnot. And every time I've tried to like stifle that, um, maybe I'll feel good for like a month or so, but then all of a sudden it's, it's, it's almost <laughs> into a worse spot. It's, yeah. it's similar in a way to, as you scale, I think a lot of people try to remove um, the pieces that are maybe less, less fun. Uh, or maybe a little bit more painful, and I know I've done that. Um, so, like, we have a, we have a lot of customers because we serve small businesses and up, and it's hard to like look at all of the, the the feedback or the churn reasons or something like that. It's human nature to want to, you know, maybe have someone put together a report, maybe glance at that once a month or something like that. But every time, like I like like get a step away from from customer feedback or especially like like why are people finding success or why are they leaving um i feel like i i know my business less so mm. like it's maybe i i am more comfortable uh during the day cuz i'm just choosing to read happy things um but it it makes me understand my business less and probably grow less uh as an individual as well
2: interesting so we will talk about um, what happens when you kind of go through that growth bit, and what you're going to do with this um, new uh, new uh, round of funding? But over, I, I like this concept of optionality. It's something that, uh, in fact, another Chicago-based um, entrepreneur called Jason uh, talks about uh, Basecamp um, a lot. There's a very big difference between doing something as a side project um, and then even running this bootstrapped company, and then being responsible and, and and running a company of 850 people. Now, was it was there ever a point when you thought I'm not the right person, I'm not good enough, or or where were the were there points where you felt you had to change and and, and talk a little bit about. Um, I don't know what what changes you've made. Presumably it hasn't been
1: the same yeah. approach. No, it's a good question. And and it's it's interesting because if I think of like the time where you don't know, call it more side project or starting, like there was still such a level of passion and 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 work mm. there. Right. So I think that is something that remains more of a constant than not. I think sometimes people think of it as like you start, you kind of like passive slow. And then all of a sudden you like pick up speed in reality, like being part of that business or starting the business, I think it feels like you're just moving at a fast rate the whole time. Now I'd say like every step of the journey has been like, okay, like you see something far out, maybe it's like team size revenue or whatnot. Surely if I get there, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, how am I the right you know, person. So I think there's a lot of self-doubt there and it's amplified because we look at the market, right? And that like what what I was mentioning earlier, it's like human nature to look at like, oh, so-and-so like uh, is there, they're doing this. I can't even like deal with uh, a a team one type of the size or something like that. Like, how am I gonna get there? And the, uh, for good and bad, like for the first eight, 10 years of the business, I really didn't go out and talk to a lot of people, um, meaning I didn't go to events. I, I, I just focused on building. Like I was, I was just focusing on just like programming, working with our customers and whatnot. And I would probably tweak that a bit, um, but, there's, but by limiting yourself a little bit to like, what is everyone else doing? it almost like takes a little bit of that pressure off and allows you to, e- either way, like it's probably more beneficial to go out there and, and talk to folks and whatnot, but like you need to trust your own instinct uh, a bit more. And so countless times I've, I've started to self-doubt like my own uh, instinct on like how to, how to build a company, how to work with our customers, things like that. And in those moments, I look and see what are other people doing? Maybe I just follow that. And I think it's that, if you're, you know, if, if you're starting to have even a couple customers, if you're starting to grow a team, well, like there's, there's probably something like that you could give yourself a little bit more credit for along the way. And it sounds so simple, but like, mm. even today, I'm having to constantly go back um, to that. Uh, and I think it brings a little bit more of a, a uniqueness and a little bit more freedom in the way of like how you're thinking about operating. Um, and then that goes back to um, hopefully it's, it's going to be challenging, but hopefully mm. you can have some fun with that. Because if you start to lose that, um, then I think it, it goes into a, a pretty bad space. Yeah.
2: So you do things differently and that's something that you, um, you, know, you almost kind of attribute to some of the, uh, success how do you where do you get advice if a lot of the advice that's out there is this sort of orthodox this is what you do this is what you do here's the seven sexy secrets to success playbook you know blah 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 where do you find those where do you find those opinions those views
1: i have always been drawn to like uh if, if there's a norm like try to figure out like is there something you can do that's that's a bit of maybe not a complete opposite, but a play off of it or a bit of an opposite? Uh, for us, I mean, like there's there's a ton of amazing businesses helping us with these now, but um, really staying entrepreneur and small business first um, has been a piece of that uh, for us. Instead of like we've had opportunities along the way to sort of just shift up market um, from a capital standpoint. Um, from uh, like people viewing like all your SaaS metrics, like mm. it makes some sense, but like I think there's um a greater opportunity going after something that's more difficult. Um, I also just uh, personally really enjoy finding things where it's where it's just questioned and and challenged. Meaning, like if we are not doing something that our, our customers aren't like asking like, why are you doing this? Which seems counter to, to, uh, to caring about your customers. It means we're not pushing on innovation or, or, or having enough like semi-crazy ideas out there. Mm. Um, one good example of this was it would be before uh, the pandemic, um, we started doing these study halls throughout the world. And so we did hundreds of these events, um, call it like 25, 50 people typically. Per event, we'd be flying our team, uh, focusing on cities that were not your typical cities and going all over the world. And uh, it was really focused less on like use active campaign, buy active campaign. It's more like, let's look at your business, think about your experience, like how can you build it? Use active campaign if you want, use something else otherwise. And so our customers actually liked it, right? Like it was a, it was like free in person training, like we like people were <laughs> bonds and those groups and whatnot. Now my team was like, what are we doing? Like, uh, so we're spending all this money to send this team to a place to talk to 20 people in person. Like this can't be right. And one small example, but like it's, it's doing things that cause those questions, whether it be from your customers or from your team um, that allow you to push the boundaries. And maybe some of them are gonna be like totally wrong. Right? Um, yeah. But in this case, we're able to actually look at the data and see just of the people at the event um, due to their growth and retention with the platform over time, it paid for it. Um, and then there was this rippling effect of advocacy in these like small regions that were not major cities. And you look at that and you think like that's really expensive to do, but it's it's actually cheaper than like pay per click or a lot of like the traditional marketing means of finding customers and far more defensible, because if you can get someone into that, like they truly like you, they feel a bond with a business and whatnot, that's like Mm. a type of growth um, that that your competitors won't typically be able to buy, because they have to go through all that effort um, to really build out programming and and build that authentic advocacy over time.
2: So you know what this sounds like to me, because I'm Fairly kind of obsessive about boss and the boss speakers, but uh, um, there's a there's a talk from a while back that um, there's there's some echoes of uh, of that. Have you have you um, heard Gail Goodman?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> the uh, the, the I uh, long, slow, ramp of death, uh was uh, perfectly put, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. And, and there's strategies of really getting into communities at that, that like you know, micro level and whatnot, um, truly powerful. Yeah. That's interesting.
2: So you're growing. You, I mean, you've grown as a, as an individual, I'd love to talk uh, um, about, um, you know, the things that you do now versus the things that you did, uh, maybe 10 years ago as a, as a CEO founder. But, um, before that, the, the, the other kind of piece about this is you've grown, how did the team grow and were there points where people in the team were growing as quickly as they needed to? How did you, how did you deal with that?
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. And uh, I, I'd say like um fortunate to still be working with the number of people I've been working with for like 10 years now um, on the team. So I think like uh, there, there's been opportunities also, like I like to um, more celebrate like, like folks that, that choose to go do something up, but like continue to do amazing things. I think all too often we think about it as like, you know, we're on this journey, everyone has to be on this journey. And it's like, well, this is starting to sound like a cult. So like, maybe we don't talk <laughs> like that. And uh, maybe it's about, you know, even if someone's here just for, for a period of time and goes off and do something, does something else, like that level of impact and that type of um, uh, reputation market is one that I think we should strive for um now early on i tried to do a lot of that myself like uh mm. up until i want to say 70 80 people um i was i was doing payroll and stuff like that really bad idea um not good at it fine art background mixed with programming um it's going to cause some problems right <laughs> and so i think it was this i didn't want to let go of certain pieces in regards to um our own employee experience and whatnot because I really wanted that to be like, I knew that's gonna be our throttle for growth, right? Um, if people are successful at ActiveCampaign, but starting to build that out. And since then, obviously focusing more on like employee experience and building out different aspects of it, because it only increasingly gets more and more difficult. Um, and, and it's uh, to your other point of like how things change, like, you know, 10 years ago, I could go in and, and fix a problem. It could be mm. more on the, people say it could be more on the technical, it could be wherever, um, today it feels like I can't fix anything, right? Like it's uh it's like a, a, you almost have to think a little bit further out and just try to like steer things, um, and it's somewhat counterintuitive. But that's really the reason why you have to stay in the details, though, um, as well. So meaning like I didn't take a lot of data from throughout the organization, um, probably more than like some of my team is, is used to in other companies. Um, and the point isn't to necessarily go and solve something. I'm not the smartest person at Active Campaign by any degree in any area. Um, it's more like to just be another view into across things, um, mm-hmm. just asking the right questions, just um, start to get like thought and, and proving something out right or wrong sooner than later. Um, I think is really important, but it's it's a different skill set. I think I've had to build up over time, and it's uh, it's not easier. I don't think either. So like it's uh, now I got to still be in all the details, but I can't actually um, direct anything, right? Like it's uh, uh, <laughs> so it's
2: um, it's great. It sounds like you're becoming a product manager. That's what they're always. <laughs> um, so. It's interesting, was there a point when you were growing that um, you lost people who'd been there for a a long time? Was there a particular, you know, an inflection point in that growth where people started to move on? And what do you think caused that? And what lessons did you take from it?
1: Yeah, no, I I think so. And if I think about like, there were certain moments probably around that, like 50 or so people, uh, certainly around 150 was probably the most uh, where it just felt like, you know, things are changing. Um, I think it was a point in time understanding that, you know, it's one, I I have to message folks like it's okay that things, things will change. We're not going to stay the same company. We're, you know, it's, it's, we're going to still focus on, on on our primary focus, believe in what we believe in, but like culturally, even that will will adjust over time. Um, and then also like some people love to work in small businesses. Some people love to work in like, and kind of going back to at first, like I, I think I approached that with the mindset of like, we have to solve it. Like, this is like really important to I me. Mean, we have to solve like, how does this like be amazing for everyone? Um, and then I think that kind of like evolved into my view of like let's help people be successful. And so we've built out like different coaching options for folks um, internally, really bringing the idea of coaching and trying to extend that both from like a um, from a from a leadership standpoint, also from a mental health standpoint throughout the entire company and whatnot, um, and providing more and more resources along the way. And the thing is like understanding that all of the stuff we're doing will potentially lead like a number of people away from active camp. And that's fine too. Like they're going to find some passion and like uh, if they want to go and, and you know, do something a totally different region, totally different market. Like we should celebrate that. And yeah. Interesting.
2: So I'm going to talk about growth. and then I, There's some great questions kind of coming up in not just the chat, but various back channels here as um, mm-hmm. well. But, you bootstrapped the business you were in charge of it presumably you owned most of it there may have been some kind of employee option um, program early on but you kind of got to a point where when you started to take money, presumably that got you to a point where you weren't the majority shareholder relatively quickly.
1: um I think uh there's ways and I think we're seeing more and more businesses like the longer they extend taking capital Mm. kind of that point of optionality we were talking about the more um I I don't know if I always control even the right word but the more control uh can can be retained and I think uh it's funny because like when I talk to people and and they they can't raise for a long time and then like it's like Oftentimes when you look back, it's like, well, I'm sure glad, like I was really bad at that. Like, you know, like it's, it's, um, <laughs> but it's one of those situations that maybe taking capital can actually give you some peace of mind to go forward too. So it's like, it's yeah. an impossible sort of, sort of thing to say, like, but, well, there is no right or wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, but um, I'd say so like, yeah, it was 2016, late 2016, when we were raised for the first time. So 13 years into the business, running it myself, no board, just like nice and simple, right? Decisions can be made very quickly. Um, When I was in that process, we had interest and whatnot, but I did two different things uh, that I think are important. Um, One, I didn't just paint like a super glossy picture. I allowed room uh, to show some areas that I knew might create some questions. Now that goes against... All logical sense. If you're just purely going after valuation, terms, things like that, yeah. um, but I think there's value. You don't have to like overdo it and only show negative, or you probably won't get any 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 continued conversations. But like being able to share some of that in a live or a video or even just an audio environment allows mm-hmm. you to understand how do people think through it, how do they react. I think the other point um, that's important that I always suggest people push on is. How do you bake in things that are, are for more beneficial to the company uh, or, or yourself as a founder or whatever it may be um, than the investor? Stuff that doesn't even necessarily, maybe isn't even applicable for a while. So maybe you bake in like super voting. So like find different things and there's like probably 20 different things you could kind of pick at. Um, the point there as well is how does your potential investor react? do they go like, why are you asking about this? Like, you know, like, like, do they like have trust in you or not? Now this all comes from a place of like, um, if if you're in a spot where you don't actually have to raise stuff like that. Hmm. I think following those pieces, and that's something I've always just uh, believed in doing is it really helps filter out some of the noise. Um, And at the end of the day, like um, I don't have any regrets uh, about raising, and the folks I've, I've started to work with um, can't say it's like for those reasons alone but like um, <laughs> yeah. it's helped you're, you're uh, because I told things story, out right? otherwise so yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: but you're selling a different story at the stage that you were raising because you were growing and profitable yeah. and you know, pretty well established you know you're not selling a hey this is a 100x unicorn bet you know with a one in or a nine in ten chance of um, not returning anything you've got much more visibility yeah uh, were there were there things that you and it's something that few people have raised you know what did you look for in your investors um you know beyond uh, a, a load of cash
1: yeah i think uh just alignment and the opportunity we're going after first and foremost which sounds obvious like you'd think anyone uh, like giving capital would but um, I think it's, it can be like, I didn't want to have a situation afterwards where people are like, why don't you spend more to, to bring more customers in? Um, it's like, no, we'll just mm. take the approach we've taken. Like it's, uh, um, also like for us being small business first, um, like there's, there's investors that like that and there's investors that just don't understand it. Right. Yeah. Um, and the ones that don't understand it will just, uh, uh, continue to, 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 to push, to move up of it or change the business. Um, the other thing is like, it, like not rocket science type of advice, but like just finding like the failures. Um, so like with any capital we brought in, we've talked to like, uh, like companies and failures is a strong word perhaps, but like companies that like is a failure in terms of the investors, uh, outlook, um, and talking to the founder there, also talking to the investor on the topic as well. Um, mm-hmm. and once again, like catching that um, live and video in person, um, you just start to gain a sense. And, and at the end of the day, there's the, you know, there's, there's terms, there's stuff like that, but, um, you have to also be, just be comfortable with the the people. Like, would you, you're not going to work with them every day, but like, would you be okay with that? If that was the case that'll never happen, but like, it speaks to the type of person that you're going to have to, um, deal with and operate with. And like, uh, I think that, like, you know, doing all of that hopefully puts you in a spot where you don't actually manage to the board or manage to your investors, um, where you can actually share with some transparency, feel like they're not just going to like, um, try to try to do whatever's in their interest versus like helping you along the way. So I feel like I've been very fortunate in finding like partners like that, um, especially with like our, our early funding and whatnot. So, um, but yeah, and it's also like, if you don't have to rush it, like don't, yeah. um, like if like kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, like if you can, if you can get a, um, like a MRR cash advance or something like that, if you start to build up reoccurring revenue, like I did that, it's basically like a, um, like a, a, a it just gives you an advance of capital that you'd normally get. And they just withhold some, like, like I said, it's not going to be the most glamorous thing. You're not mm. going to get like, big articles written up and whatnot, but like you're going to get the capital. It's not going to be diluted. Like there's there's growing options in that area, um, which I think is really exciting um, for businesses looking for capital. And so like yeah. I would look at it as um, don't raise for PR, don't raise for any of that, like raise for the right reasons and, and try to find other ways to get capital um, alongside or instead of.
2: Right. So let's talk about, you started taking this, you started taking capital, and you know, it's pretty clear that you had a sense of put some money in this end of the business. Some more money comes out there. You've got this engine that's engine that's working, and the capital is a route to uh, making that happen. And it's a different thing to to building products and trying to go off and prove the, prove the market. You started to grow pretty quickly at that point. You had about a year of rapid growth, and I think took some more funding, and then something happened about this time last year to the world. I can hardly yeah. remember, largely because I've tried to blot it out in my mind. Um, what what happened? How did you adapt?
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. We raised um, a couple months before the pandemic, and obviously, just a terrible situation for um, everyone in the world. Um, and with focusing on small businesses, um, I think we looked at it as like, this is going to be, um, this is going to be a a time where we have to be there more than ever before. Um, the one thing like, so like if we ever enter like a, a difficult situation, whether it be 2008, uh, the pandemic, or, or just like we're having a difficult situation internally, Um, In terms of revenue growth, whatever it may be, like the only play I have is like doubling down on our own customer experience. It's like the only thing that I can routinely go to feels like it works. Um, In this situation, um, we started looking at the data like every single day, like analyzing by region, all that fun stuff. Um, And then we went to our customer facing teams uh, as well as our product teams. And we basically said like, okay, things we're thinking about in the next 12 months uh, that we're thinking about doing for our customers. Maybe we're like changing some of the services and stuff like that. Um, let's get a list of all that. And then we started thinking, okay, like of this list and there's some pretty big changes, like like let's do as much as we can in the next two weeks. And we just started doing that. So on the customer facing side, it was like actually changing a number of roles, having teams focus in on different types of work. like within days trying to communicate as much as possible through that. But I think people understood we were doing this to be there for our customers more than ever before. Um, And that wasn't gonna be easy, but those same people were hearing like the stories, transformations, pains like businesses were going through. So I think it was a time of a lot of change all at once, um, but a moment where people really rallied behind that, um, which I think is powerful. And then on the product side, really focused on, I've always had this belief like building product that's just like features, tools, um, probably useful to someone, um, but really doesn't unlock the full capability. So how do we build it to be more of a partner to a business versus just functionality? Um, And in our world, it's like recipes, giving people ideas of what to do so that they don't have to like map out things and just come up with ideas themselves It a lot empowers business to get going without uh relying on consultants and whatnot so we really try to like in that area like what can we do to really push that further get more focused on transformation type of business processes and whatnot um and just really focus on the customer and that's uh it's not necessarily an easy thing but it's it's always been something that during the moment i i fully believe helps and then if you start to get outside of whatever that moment is, like there's no regret of doubling down on your own customer experience, especially through a difficult time, because then you gain even more advocacy from those you're able to help. That's
2: interesting. Okay, so um, there's a lot of questions. Will, are you there? Will Caldwell, unmute yourself. No, I okay. Come back to that one, and um, let me know if uh, anyone from audience sees Um So, sorry. Um, uh, I guess there were yeah, there are a, a couple of things about the, the the growth phase that you've been through that. You talked about product, you talked about getting closer to customers. You went from operating with how many kind of offices? But, but it was it was a pretty office-based environment. What, yeah. Five or so offices around the world?
1: Yeah, Chicago, yeah. Sydney, Dublin.
2: Yeah. Um, and then everybody was remote. But at least you had the luxury of not having to double your headcount in a year. Oh, no. So, what was the bigger what was the bigger change for you? Everybody being remote all of a sudden, or having to rethink the way that you approached hiring and recruiting and onboarding?
1: Yeah, I think the I mean it it opens up um, opportunity to hire from ever obviously everywhere, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which more matches like Active Campaign in the way of like over half of our customers are international. Um, so that makes sense. I think coming from more of a hub or office driven model, um, we've mm. always had people distributed as well. Um, but uh, a, I mean, we had some work to do. Um, uh, <laughs> because we're used to be able to just talk in person and whatnot. I think it also just showed like how, you know, regardless how many people, like how, how, how people will change, transform and adapt pretty quickly. Mm. Um, and so like going forward, it's more of a, I think the real challenges I had, um, meaning I, I, I don't, I don't pretend to think I know what the future of work is. I, 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 don't think anyone really knows. I do think it's centered around flexibility and that means something different for, for a lot of different people. Um, so like, if I think of our team, you know, some people will want to be fully remote, some will want to be hybrid, some will want to be able to go to someplace. So, like, it's uh, we'll still need to have these hubs um, for people to gather um, if they want, when they want. Um, But, uh, like, how do you maintain that? Because I think where people have found a lot of success is going all in on a single model, um, which I don't think is the, probably, like, if if you're able to get it to work across, like, a a hybrid of approaches, um, that's probably the right thing to do. But um, we're more in the like we're gonna just keep learning and trying things versus anything else
2: when you when you decided on the first hubs that you were going to be opening up what was what was your thought process there were they places that were existing to hire product or engineering talent or were they sales marketing operations um just wind back and, and talk us yeah. through that process of how you thought that was going
1: to work and how it did yeah so we've been fortunate that we have customers in 170 countries so we have like customers or some level of growth and just about any region we're primarily focused on Chicago for the longest time and we knew we were going to start with one one new hub right and Mm. uh I think the the easy one would have been go to Dublin or something like that is the first one well like uh in our typical fashion it's like well, let's just go to the one that like we have no time zone overlap at all. Uh, start there. <laughs> uh, we'll figure that one out, and then then we'll go 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 from there, and and we'll see what happens. And so that's why we started with Sydney, uh, Australia, and and had had some some amazing people go over there and help uh, start the start the office and whatnot. And then from there, we've kind of taken that approach elsewhere. And so if I think about, you know, we're in all these countries we got to over 50% international without any intention outside of localizing mm-hmm. product. And I think that's important to note because I think people think about it as this overly complex thing all too often, where you have to have this full strategy, people on the ground, like in sub-businesses, that's, that's maybe the case and a lot, you can get pretty far um, with very little intention. Now, when we thought like, okay, let's start actually localizing the sales and marketing sites, like maybe that'll be good. Let's start uh, offering in a local currency. Um, we chose Brazil uh, as our first place to really go all in on that, um, which also isn't typical. Like it'd be making far more sense to go somewhere within Europe or somewhere else. Um, but we also did that because we saw opportunity and we knew there was gonna be some challenges and all of that. Um, but we mm-hmm. saw like by doing that, it, it makes other markets that we've now gone with more intention of a different flavor like easier um, as well as gives us a a bit of edge in market as well, because we're chasing things that that people are not necessarily all the time. Um, And and I think that's the, that's kind of how we sort of guide a lot of decisions and whatnot.
2: It's a great question from um, our pajama watchers in Sydney. Uh, How did you cope with the time zone difference um, with your first overseas office being so far away? So firstly, I'm great that Tim recognizes that, he is far away, um, and it's not that we're far away from him. Um, did it change your communication and meeting culture in the head office? Yeah, somehow?
1: I mean, a lot of that before was in person, so I think it was is more going to like written and whatnot. Um, we struggled a little bit with the time zone overlap, though, uh, because there there was really no good overlap, and we really found um, a lot of team members um, sort of working a lot of extra time um, to accommodate that versus us finding a way to do it. Um, It started making us think about like, like everyone was working almost a singular time even in Chicago. So it really amplified the problem. So really getting more flexibility there. Um, And then I think that was the start from a lot of that of of me really just trying to communicate and talk to the company in a way that um, I don't talk about it as like a, a Chicago headquartered company um, using more like we're one global team like we had a company update um, recently um, and we've changed the times of those all the time. So like this one was like at like eight o'clock in the morning or something and then we'll do some more in the afternoon something like. And it's just like uh, knowing that we'll never have a time where it overlaps everything. Um, but really caring about um, you know how do you how do you talk in a way where it doesn't feel like anyone, and this goes whether it's a hub or someone that's distributed feels like they're like a, a satellite small, you know, operation off to the side. And there's like this mm. big thing going on somewhere else. Um, I don't think we're perfect there. I think we're still working on that. Um, but I think that's a, that's a fun challenge.
2: Great, um, Martine, are you there? Can you come off mute? It's a great question about leadership and how it changes as you scale.
1: Hi, Jason. I have a question of just how was your communication or your team's communication to the company, company-wide? How involved did you have them? Did you have forums? We're going through that scaling as well. And we're trying to balance that with a new leadership team, but also having our founders on. So I want to know, how did you keep that communication of like, the new guys aren't evil, but <laughs> like they're trying to help us grow and we have to change from the
0: wild, wild west to a city. So how can you yeah. guide us in that?
1: That's a good question. I think like the, the 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 simple answer it just changed a lot over time. and really digging into like what what made sense for the, for the moment. So like finding different ways to get those questions surface from folks. Like I think the last thing we want is there to be questions and we just don't know about them, right? And um, so you have to have a ton of optionality for that. Like whether it be, you actually have like employee NPS running, like every month, keeping it fully anonymous. Maybe you have like uh, company updates or all hands or whatnot where people can talk as well. Um, and then I think the other piece is just, uh, I think I did this not so great at the beginning. I think I was trying to solve for like, everything's going to be okay. Like it's, it's like, we're getting this all in order. We're going to get this all Um, simplified and it's all going to be in order and there's going to be no chaos. Um, But I don't think that's realistic um, if a business is growing quickly. I think you can have controllable uh, levels of chaos, but change um, is something that from the first day someone even starts talking to a company in an interview process and then through the first day joining and, and continually all the time along the way, be like, like changes, like it's it's expected. It's good. It's part of growth. Speaking to some of that, um, and so like through the last year and whatnot, I've I've done a lot of that by like email and whatnot to the whole company, um, allowing that to come through in a in a um, in a in a imperfect way at times, like where it's like genuinely coming from someone versus like this well polished like message of like you know changes inevitable. You know, like it's uh you know that's what will really Help, And then at the end of the day, like you you just keep building upon that um, with anything um, often guided by, by questions or pain points people are experiencing. More increased all hands, more communication or more just surveys. I mean, that's where our, our people are kind of getting burnt out as a bit of the surveys, but increasing that yeah. to make sure they're being heard. Maybe just yeah, changing I, how- I that. Uh, I, I think that's important, like be mindful of like how much uh, it is and like how optional. Uh, some of the stuff it is as well because right the different types of communication are because people people enjoy or intake different uh, content differently and so um, allowing people to have that flexibility and then also understanding like you know yes communicate over communicate there will always be unknowns out there though and so if you try to say you're gonna solve it um, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be difficult unless you actually solve it. By sol- by solving it though it might mean like you have to stop growing the business and whatnot and just stay static.
2: Okay
1: thank you. Great.
2: So from Martin to Martin, which is pretty <laughs> much the same. Um poor Martin, I used to work with him and the number of times he had to spell his name for
0: people to get it wrong. Martin <clears throat> hey Jason um, I'd love to hear uh, a bit more about what you said about like offering recipes and campaign ideas to your to your customers uh, how did you like discover that as a as a need of your customers and um, I guess what sort of effect did it have on, on the business
1: yeah I think um, the very fact that we were so focused on like entrepreneurs small businesses and up forced us to go down this path I mean if you think about like automation historically like You know, it's typically been this like canvas, you drag in some things, you have to like connect lines, you have to think of like, what are you going to create as a business process? And like that provides a lot of technological like wow, perhaps once it's in place. But I think the focus is really like, how do you get someone to do it themselves and in their own way where they can take ownership of that idea? um and that led us to this idea of like okay automations are kind of complex let's simplify it let's like not make people draw lines like like let's let's just make it just kind of click into place but even then like they were needing consultants or they're needing ideas like we have all these amazing ideas like we've tried ourselves our customers have tried so bringing that into the product as starting points Um, And I think we see this with like a a lot of like project management tools and whatnot, like a a starting piece or whatnot, but finding a way of how do you make that um, somewhat unique to whatever you're offering. And then when someone is able to actually build off of that or build their own, how do you help enable and amplify their success of it? Meaning for a while there, as people built automations, we would get phone calls or emails being like, I just built this and I want to tell you because I'm super proud of myself. And it's like, okay, like that's awesome. And that was because other platforms and whatnot, like maybe it was more challenging. This is the first time they've done it. Um, so like, how do, we, how do we take that? Like, we wanna know, but like amplify that further. And so making it so that people could actually share those ideas they built with our community and whatnot has been a really critical way of just continuing to build upon um, the organic success of Active campaign. And I think still why today, um, word of mouth and organic is our top channel. Uh, for a new customer acquisition.
2: It's interesting. So many of these things are segueing very beautifully into other parts of the, yeah, the sessions today. So when um, I kind of go back to communication, we've got and how you how you make remote work. We've got Wade Foster from Zapier and Amir Saleh Fendit from Doist. We're both completely remote and have some slightly different views about Sync versus Async. Um, This building a software ecosystem is something that's really compelling, really, really powerful, very misunderstood. we have got to break out around that later on. Now, we're not out of time, but I'm just giving people a little bit of a nudge that we've got five minutes or so. Um, before we're uh, gonna wrap up, so I, I, if there are people with like sort of particularly burning um, questions um, out there, I don't know if Will from audience is back because I think that's a great, um, a great question um, he had. No, nope. fire him, Archie. Don't trust him to be there. Um, but. Uh, let's let's try and make use as as much use of the uh, the time as as uh, we can here um what are you going to do with all this money um you pretty much doubled your headcount over the last year so how do you how do you spend um the next the next uh wave that you've got and where do you stop
1: yeah so i think um one like our plan stays very much the same. We're focused on like product, uh, building out our team and and really personalizing our own platform experience kind of to build on that idea of like, how can we be a partner even more uniquely to businesses considering we see like data coming in and whatnot. Um, And in part, and like the reason why we raised it, like we're going after such a large thing we're already in 170 countries we're in basically every vertical with no vertical concentration because we've taken the opposite approach of focus that a lot of people uh would take and focus on one vertical one locale we just decided like let's build something for everything now we're at this exciting point of like personalizing it um so that's that's really where we're spending a lot of energy
2: right uh phil from alm works there. this is a great question
0: i am hey jason um, I was curious about the,
1: the logic or the reasoning for opening that first or second office, I guess.
0: Um, was it something like a conscious growth strategy that you wanted to kind of be present in certain time zones or certain locales? Or was there some sort of burning reason that you couldn't get accomplished or done from a one centralized location?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, time zone locale was definitely a piece of it. Um, we're so focused on Chicago. It was hard to cover the world. Um, and that's in part why we started with Sydney. Also, we knew it was inevitable to have more than one location, um, so we just felt like like let's let's you know get the time zone piece, solve for that. Indianapolis would be another one that's interesting to folks sometimes, because we have such a large presence in Chicago and it's fairly close by. But we created a, a hub there as well, just because we started hiring a, a bunch of talent in the area, and that's kind of how I see like. How our hubs like we follow our customers in terms of like where the need is and then where we find amazing talent we'll we'll have like a gathering spot for them
2: great mark stevens yeah i had a, a question as, as mark alluded to earlier we've had this small pandemic for the last two years and we're all sitting at our homes and one of the big existential questions for me is whether this is a change the world situation and how that's going to impact both our customers and how we run our businesses, or whether it's a you know it's been a nice little hiatus and we're going to go back to business as normal. So I wondered if you'd given any thought to those two aspects of of how we go forward from here.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, one, like I think uh, we're we're not done with change. Uh, so I think about our customers and like a lot of people have been pushing to digital and whatnot as in-person businesses start to open again, they can't have a singular experience on both sides. It has to be a unified one. And I think you can take that same challenge and approach it to um, the way people work and, and so many other things. And I think like, uh, I don't know, it worries me a bit like when people think like, we've 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 changed, we're there, we're in a better spot. Like there's not more change coming because I see um, more challenges ahead. Yeah. Um,
2: well, you will he ran off with a puppy or something. Um, it's a great question to to end on though. Will you? Are you there now, or is the puppy? Ending? Yeah, no. Um, sincere apologies. Yeah, a sixteen-week-old puppy just went ballistic in the other room, so I figured I wouldn't wouldn't expose you. <laughs> that you. But um, uh, yeah, Jason, just I just want to sort of looking back from the point that you've got to now. Um, if you went back to the start again, was is there any one or a- any significant thing you? you you'd have done differently. And what was the kind of the biggest lesson you learned along the way?
1: Yeah, I think the the biggest lesson I learned along the way would just be like to trust my own instinct, our own team's instinct a bit more, stop looking for an answer and a solve. Typically I'm asked that question in the way of like, like how would you not like fail for the first 13 years or something or some, some variation of, of asking that. And like, <laughs> I'd go back to, it was an amazing business. Right. Um, and, uh, I think the learnings from that time and being able to work with the customers we worked with during that time um, really created our view of the opportunity today that we still stay with. And because we've you know transitioned, transformed, but always have done it in a way that like actually cares about our customers. I mean, like we change business models, things like that, but we like always allowed years of room for people um, to adapt. Um, brings us to a spot like just the other day, I was talking to someone that's been a customer since. 2003, like, like that's uh, that's pretty awesome. So I wouldn't change, um, kind of the, the the journey along the way in that
0: regard. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.